1: The goal of this show is to make you kick your ESPN and other corporate media habits. Kick them to the curb. You don't need them. I'm gonna provide you with more proof of why you need to kick your ESPN habit. We're gonna give you more conversation about Damar Hamlin, Lovey Smith, conversations you won't hear any place else but here on Fearless. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Monday to you and yours. We made it through the weekend. I hope you had a great weekend. Hope all your football teams won. I hope you're ready for tonight's uh, college football national championship game. I hope that you can concentrate looking at the new and revitalized me, you know, the late female viewers. I apologize for looking this good. Uh, I know it's a distraction, but I want you to be able to concentrate on the show, even with me looking as good. I don't know if you guys can, you know, see the difference in me, but uh, I'll just go ahead and cop to it. I just I took the gray out of my hair this morning. I had to do it. I was tired of looking at it. <laughs> I, mean, I probably look, you know, three, four years younger. Uh, <laughs> with this new hair color. Uh, I, I, I gotta look at least 52 with this new hair color. But anyway, uh, we have a fantastic show planned for you today. Larry Johnson, former NFL star, is going to kick off the show uh, with me as we talk about Demar Hamlin and the NFL celebration of Demar Hamlin over the weekend. And then in the second block of the show, we'll actually get to my fire starter about Lovey Smith and him getting fired. Uh, by the Houston Texans. I'll talk with uh, Steve Kim. We'll review that and much of the NFL weekend. And, of course, it's Monday. Coach JB, the real Coach JB. Last Chance Q, as I like to call him. Jason Brown will be here as well. Jam-packed, action-packed show. Let's go down to Florida. I believe Miami, I believe. And bring in Larry Johnson to discuss the NFL and how they handled and the television networks and how they handled uh, the DeMar Hamlin, uh, DeMar Hamlin situation this weekend. And, and I want to start here, Larry, with the pregame prayer that we saw that I, I got to be honest with you, it warmed my heart to see, because I thought they had made it illegal, basically, for anybody to pray or to associate God with football <clears throat> in any way. But th- then there was an element beyond the prayer that felt a little bit overdone and overcooked and a, maybe a little bit exploitive. It was almost like we turned DeMar Hamlin into Ukraine. But I, I want to start with the pregame prayer. And and do you think it signifies anything about the NFL and perhaps a pivot, I, it wasn't long ago, I probably towards the tail end of your career, when Tim Tebow uh, was basically run out of the league <laughs> for kneeling in prayer. Anything to read into the the, the widespread pregame prayer uh, that went on around the NFL in celebration of uh, DeMar Hamlin? Uh,
2: I would see it would, as it being, if we really want to look into the biblical aspects uh, of this prayer, none of this goes... Uh, in coordinates with Matthew uh, chapter 6, where it says, do not be as the hypocrites do. Do not pray for people to watch you. Do not pray as the synagogue of Satan prays. People who want to be watched and adored for praying, they already have the reward. So the NFL is an entertainment business, and they want you to believe that it's all governed by by a higher power, which is the Most High, which we all know. If we can go through all these different quarterbacks and see them uh, uh, allegiances with Masonic affiliations, you, you we know that it's not about. <laughs> we know it's not about God. We know it's not about you know actually prayer. It's about show showing entertainment to the uh, to the people.
1: You just said a mouthful here. I need you to clarify. Mm-hmm. NFL quarterbacks with Masonic imagery, a lot of that's blowing by my head and perhaps the viewers. Could you clarify what you're talking about?
2: Well, we all know that this is an entertainment. When the NFL tells you before and after a game, this is the presentation of the National Football League. It's entertainment, which means they can give you a product on the field that makes you hoop, holler, get mad through your remote at the TV. If you can control a game based on just having a quarterback that's allegiances are to a Masonic doctrine, which we all know it all comes, it all flows down. You can't tell me that the government uh, is the only entity that has a Masonic doctrine. George Washington was a Freemason. Now, if all the Freemasons, including the Walter Camp who created the National Football League or created American football, he was a Skull and Bonesman. So you got to believe that these doctrines inf- infiltrated these you know national football league teams and so quarterbacks can easily do what they want to do at the hest of their you know, managers or people who manage them. And what you've seen is a product. That's all it is. It's an entertainment product. These people don't believe in God. They don't believe in a Christian God. They believe that people are going to watch the tape and watch the film and watch this football game based on their emotions, not based on fact, not based on scripture. It's based on how they can manipulate your emotions for their product.
1: Hmm. So for someone like me that grew up in football, grew up in the church, and has been frustrated with how secular football has become, I, I thought, like, well, at least something has happened to where people are even talking about God and about prayer and regard and and because I know that a lot of people are being hypocritical about it, and it's convenient and it's popular, but I'm like, this is better than the alternative, where they never mention God, where they never act like they kneel in prayer for anything, and, and so I, I I felt like, you know, the the Demar Hamlin situation, no tragic, but at least it produced something. That has somewhat of a positive message.
2: Uh, I mean, if, if you want to look at a message as far as a uh, player getting better and being an inspiration as getting better. But if you look deep into that, it's I don't know how I can really explain it without getting your, your page deleted. But <laughs> God does not want prayer in the middle of the 50 yard line. God wants obedience. Are any of these players or anybody in this world right now being obedient to God or are they being obedient to their emotions, obedient to their eyes, obedient to what their hearts want? And that's really what it comes down to. You can't find a football game in Scripture, but you have found in Scripture how other nations have came down to Jerusalem and destroyed it and erected gymnasiums and discuses and games into his temples. I know the Most High doesn't pay attention to these games as much as people think they do. I think you really have to step back and know who God is. And if you don't know who he is, either be a positive message or a negative message, I'd rather have it be a negative message rather than lead people astray, thinking that I can play football, still worship God and still promote myself, Over God, make myself an idol, sell T-shirts, sell memorabilia and to believe people that I'm getting God ordained or blessed through this particular devices. And it just it does for me, it doesn't sit right with me.
1: I certainly agree with you about the idolatry in terms of like. DeMar Hamlin went from someone that ninety nine percent of football fans had no idea who he is to overnight he has cardiac arrest on the football field and now everybody is wearing his number and saying his name and he's the new George Floyd he becomes an idol overnight because of a cardiac arrest and and the idolatry does bother me and and all of the it, it's it's no different than the people that are attacking Skip Bayless for uh, suggesting, for even asking the question, hey, how can they complete this game? And everybody's saying, oh my God, that's so disrespectful to DeMar Hamlin to even ask that question. I I find this phony and fake. Mm -hmm. I, I find this godding up of any person, but particularly these athletes, as if, oh, my God, every word that comes out of your mouth about them must be celebratory or meet some standard of sensitivity. I, I find that uh, frustrating and annoying and bothersome.
2: I think it's real fake, really. I think we live in a mob mentality. And with one person says we have to make that person the scapegoat. So then we can make the I would say the ritual of the Hamlin. We can make that volume, turn it up to 20, And then by attacking Skip Bayless or attacking anybody who speaks against anything that's trendy or popular, it just it solidifies the ignorance in our own community, especially the black community. I've seen four white children in Idaho get killed and nobody bat an eyelash. You see DeMar Hamlin fall victim on the field, maybe of his own devices. We don't know what happened. We know it's not an impact that created this, this heart attack. and we're, we're just brushing over that and making him an idol. Maybe it's something he had done himself. Maybe he put himself in a position to have that heart attack. We don't know, and he won't say it. But the fact that we we brush these four white children that got murdered right underneath, right underneath the carpet, and then we make Damar Hamlin an idol for something, and then we all jump on the bandwagon of trying to sell T-shirts and saying, this is all gonna bring us together. Bring us together for what? We don't know we know what happened to him. How is this bringing us together? We're just watching one team go have a uh, Cinderella season and maybe get into the Super Bowl, and we're all basing this off one player. We haven't done nothing else to come together on anything. So how is this about God, and how is this about prayer, and how is this about everybody else? We're watching one team, one city, and one game.
1: I- I'll give you another point that did trouble me over the weekend, that I think serves, you reference Idaho, but I'll keep it right here in the NFL family. Peyton Hill has played, I believe, seven, eight years in the National Football League, running back, rushed for 1,000 yards one year with the Cleveland Browns. He's in critical condition right now because he tried to save his, or or he did save, his two young children from drowning and nearly has drowned and, and is in jeopardy of losing his own life. In a heroic attempt to save his children. And and the NFL seems to be ignoring this. There, there seemed to be room to celebrate Peyton Hillis' heroic efforts doing exactly what a father, a parent, is supposed to do, sacrifice their life for the betterment of their kids. And there's virtually no widespread conversation about Peyton Hillis, who during his playing career far better known than DeMar Hamlin, and I'm not in any way trying to denigrate DeMar Hamlin and what he's gone through, but it, 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 to see the Peyton Hillis situation almost completely ignored is telling to me.
2: I like to use this quote from uh, Dr. Claude. I don't know if you know Dr. Claude. He's a professor. He speaks on other racial issues, and he said, anytime there's a heavy load to be moved, the wellness ass will move the heaviest load. And they make black people the, the the ass to move every load in this country, whether it's idolatry or it's a lifestyle or it's just complete ignorance. And that is what they use us for. The reason why Peyton Hillis is not mentioned, because it's, it's a natural thing. They, they're not trying to really uplift fathers in this matrix. They're not lifting uplifting fathers, period. So why would they bring attention to Peyton Hillis when they have com- a completely young individual... Damar Hamlin, which young black kids are going to see, a lot of other kids are going to see all across this world and think it's an inspiration thing. This is what I want to be. I want to be a, nat- a national football player. I want to be in the spotlight. I want to be an idol. And that's what all it is. It's just like Floyd Mayweather. You're selling a lifestyle, because if you look at uh, Demar Hamlin's Instagram, even when nobody knows he, who he was, he was still using, looking or propagating himself as an idol it just happened that it caught wind when he went down i think really we are just like far as the uh idolatry we're like the the jackasses of this matrix and we will never wake up about it we always think that this is god given or god bless this and we just getting used that's all it does it's just for us to get used in this system to help everybody else stay blind and ignorant
1: larry Interesting take. I, that's why I wanted to come to you because I knew you would say some things that perhaps I hadn't thought about or thought of. But, but I appreciate it. We will circle back to you. Love having you on the show. I, I, I will just tell you this, though, Larry. I, I, I'll tell you this. Next time we have you on the show, I want you, this is a family show. My mom watches this show. Uh, I need you to cover up a little bit, right? Uh, You know, I don't want my mother, you know, fantasizing about you being a young Franco Harris. She had a big thing for Franco Harris, and and, you know, I'm the sex symbol of this show, Larry. So (laughs) don't be competing with me. Uh, I got, I got. Thank you, Larry. No problem. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, Uh, that's Larry Johnson, former NFL star and running back. Larry, always interesting. Uh, glad that he was willing to come back on the show. We'll circle back to Larry again uh, on this show. Love, Larry. Different take. I hope you all can handle that. But again, it's it's an authentic, honest take, and it's what I keep trying to tell you about why you need to kick your ESPN and all the corporate media habits. They're not going to talk to you about these issues the way that we can on this show, Fearless. Let me also talk to you about uh, our good friends at Nugenics. Uh, they have a plan for guys like me. Getting older, it's a big adjustment. It's like you're young and healthy. and Eventually, it gets hard to stay young and healthy. Next thing you know, you realize you're <laughs> not very young and that uh, you're not as healthy as you used to be. Then it gets worse. You might get more of that uh, dad bod or that early 2000 Whitlock elephant body, uh, and it's suddenly harder to work out. It's not your fault. As men age, our bodies naturally lose free testosterone. That's because when you were younger, you were at the peak of your uh, production of testosterone. Wouldn't it be nice to get that winner's edge again and that old swagger back in your step? NuGenix Total T is the number one selling testosterone booster at GNC. It will help you turn back the clock Re-energize your workouts, get you better results at the gym, and help you look and feel like the man you really want to be. NuGenix Total T contains man-boosting key ingredients like testophen, which has been validated in five clinical studies. What NuGenix Total T does is boost the free testosterone that the aging process robs you of, so you'll feel stronger and leaner with more energy and drive. Now get a complimentary bottle of NuGenix Total T when you text Fearless to 231-231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever, with key ingredients to help you get back into shape fast. Absolutely free. Text Fearless to 231-231. That's Fearless to 231-231. Texting enrolls you into a reoccurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Or you can email me and us at show at gmail.com. And, and I want you to continue to email me, and I'll add in this new thing that I got a lot of emails about our Friday show when I talked about our vision for 2023 and the roll call event that we're hosting here in Nashville on April the 15th. I'm so glad so many of you have reached out and responded. I need more of you. Go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com, fearlessarmyrollcall.com. You want to be here in Nashville when we start enlisting fearless soldiers and inspiring fearless soldiers. We're having our first men's summit. I'll be speaking. Pastor Anthony, Pastor Bobby, TJ Moe, Delano Squires. We're gonna have great entertainment. We're gonna serve you food. We're gonna fellowship and inspire and encourage each other right here in Nashville on April 15th. I need you to join that Fearless Army. We're gonna push back against this negative culture. Go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com, sign up. Very small, affordable fee for what we're gonna provide you, food, entertainment, some good encouragement. We're going to send you home a better man and someone ready to impact your community. If you have more questions, email me or us, show at gmail.com. I'm going to have my fire started with Steve I, just Tim. Want, I want to
0: be, I just want, I want to be, I just want
1: atheist the secular world the culture uses our imperfection our sins to t- shut up you you're you can't stand on truth and if all it was was imperfection it eliminated us from standing on truth this would be a very quiet place i'm trying to be as loud as i can and as transparent as i can to try to inspire other men we know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy mercy, gives you the right to stand on his truth
0: and to speak that loudly into the culture and we, we have to do it. You can look around and say, These guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. It's transgender surgery for children. Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids and you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12 year old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let them make the Bible hate speech you're the last line of defense here because nobody else is going to do it and God's going to walk with you. This is literally worth dying for, awesome. I'm telling you. So it's like everybody, it's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it.
1: The over window has been moved right in front of our children's bedroom. And there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder. And every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, You kick the ladder back down, let them know, you you move on to the other house, because we're not playing that around here.
0: Sometimes just standing up, just saying, no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples. He tells Peter, "He's like, listen. Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life, and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after His way, He's even praying for us now." I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but (laughs) to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folks out.
1: You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're going to inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers.
0: You ready?
3: Showtime.
1: Shotgun marriages don't work, especially in modern America. We have too many options, too much easily accessible temptation to stick with a marriage we don't believe in. Just ask the Houston Texans. Yesterday, they ended their second straight shotgun marriage hours after completing the regular season, divorcing themselves from head coach Lovey Smith less than a year after hiring him. When you're a billionaire, it's not cheaper to keep her. The NFL makes all of its employees sign a prenuptial agreement, a contract that limits the divorce settlement. Kyle McNair, the owner of the Texans, would rather cut Smith a 15 to $20 million check than continue in a relationship he doesn't believe has a real future. The Texans did the exact same thing a year ago when they decided to annul their marriage to David Culley Another coach they wed quickly with no real conviction. This is the consequence of the racial politics corporate media foisted upon the NFL and the league office adopted without pushback. Neither Smith nor Cully got the Houston job because management believed they were the best candidate. Smith and Cully were chosen largely because of their skin color, pressure from Roger Goodell and his top Lieutenant Troy Vincent, and the NFL's desire to avoid being called racist over its treatment of black coaches. Houston was guilt tripped into hiring Smith and Cully. Guilt can get you the job, but it won't allow a man to keep that job. You think Cal McNair feels sorry for Smith and Cully after cutting multi-million dollar severance checks? No dice. McNair feels like he did Smith and Cully favors because he did. Cully was a career long NFL assistant. He was 66 years old when he landed his first head coaching job. The longtime NFL receivers coach was working as the passing game coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens when the Texans gave him the job. Look, look, think this through passing game coordinator for Lamar Jackson's Baltimore Ravens. That's like being elevated to the CEO of Weight Watchers after being the vegetables coordinator for Lizzo. No, the Texans gifted Cully the job. Everybody knew it, including the players in the Houston locker room. A football locker room is where false narratives die. Things that sound good on Twitter or during a woke ESPN rant often sound like hot garbage in a locker room where players just wanna win games and they don't really care about the color of their head coach. Cully inspired no one. The Texans went four and 13 last year. Cully offered no unique strategic advantage or leadership. Years ago, Lovey Smith offered a unique strategic advantage and impactful leadership. He was an expert at Tony Dungy's Tampa 2 defense, and Smith mimicked the quiet strength and poise of his mentor. Smith had a strong nine-year run with the Chicago Bears, winning three divisional titles and one NFC championship. He parlayed that into a two-year stint in Tampa and five seasons at the University of Illinois. His last winning season as a head coach was a decade ago in 2012 his final season in Chicago. Lovey Smith is 64 years old now. He's lost his magic. The Texans hired him to satisfy the race baiters in the media. It's a recipe for failure. You can't lead 60 men in a locker room when everyone knows you got hired because Roger Goodell, Troy Vincent, and ESPN talking heads forced ownership to hire you. Guilt and racial idolatry are powerful forces on Twitter. The same woke players tweeting out, Black Lives Matter act completely different inside a locker room. They wanna be led by dynamic coaches of any color. The media race baiters have emasculated black coaches. They've turned all of them into sympathy hires, everyone including the black players are suspicious of a black head coach's qualifications and competence that's the consequence of pervasive diversity equity and inclusion that movement it's 10 times more damaging than affirmative action that's why i call it die diversity inclusion and equity it's the death of black male excellence die will not produce more successful black head coaches or leaders in other industries. DIE creates figurehead jobs for black and white women and members of the LGBTQ. If it doesn't already, every NFL and NBA franchise will have a woman or gay person running their diversity, inclusion, and equity group. That's the real end game to all of this insanity. It has nothing to do with producing successful leadership of heterosexual black men. It's going to produce more shotgun marriages headed for failure. It's going to produce more young black men who feel like they're owed an opportunity rather than young men looking to create opportunities for themselves. NFL ownership doesn't have a problem with the color of Brian Flores' skin. They have a problem with his attitude and the attitude of a generation of young people who feel entitled. The world doesn't owe men, regardless of color, anything. Victims are not leaders. The people trying to shame employers into a job are not leaders, they're cowards. If Lovey Smith is a victim of anything, it's the perception of black men as weak and unqualified created by the diversity inclusion and equity proponents. That's my fire. You won't hear that at ESPN or anywhere else. You've listened to people all day, tell you, Oh my God, the NFL is racist. And Oh my God, this is completely unfair to Lovie Smith. And Oh my God, this is two years in a row. The Houston Texans have done this to black coaches. This is unfair. This is what black coaches face. There have been 29 head coaches in the NFL fired after one year. Lovey Smith and David Culley are not new. They don't represent anything new. It's a cutthroat business. There's no billionaire cutting 60 year old coaches, multi million dollar checks who are, oh my God, this is horrible. I feel so terrible for these guys. I'm, oh, I'm giving them these multi-million dollar severance packages. I didn't want to hire them in the first place. This culture we've created around you got to hire a black coach, you got to hire a black coach or you're racist is, what, is why Lovey Smith and David Culley got the job instead of someone who's qualified, instead of a young coach who may have had a chance to do something. This whole D.I.E. movement is emasculating us, is making all of us look unqualified, like we were all gifted things instead of earning things. And it's all being led mostly by either dumb jocks, ex-jocks, who again, when they actually were in the NFL, find me any of them, that came out and said a word about you better hire a black coach, any of them. They all get out of the NFL Get out of the locker room and then they all become experts on all you got to hire black coaches When they were in the NFL and had the actual leverage to do something never said a word Phony fake frauds cowards all of them And then you got people in the media that know nothing about football know nothing about leading men That are running their mouths and talking about what what they think should happen in the NFL They don't know if any of these guys are qualified. And they're stopping people from putting the work in and the desperate pursuit of these opportunities that come from the kind of turning your life over upside down and going to any lengths to become a head coach. We should be having that real, honest conversation and forcing men to man up instead We're going to hear about how everybody's racist. You know, I I thought, and we'll bring Steve in here. I I thought about this to some degree as it relates to DeMar Hamlin. Do we have, Justin, I, I don't know if I told you or asked you this, but there's a picture of all the medical staff that was on the field and getting honored in Buffalo. I I don't know if I asked for this or not, I don't think I did, but I wonder if we could find it. There's 13 people that were on the field before that Buffalo game uh, today, or yesterday, that they were all getting honored for saving DeMar Hamlin's life. Of the 13 people, nine of them were white men. Nobody is demanding on the medical staff of NFL teams for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because no one cares about the skin color of the doctors. When it comes to life and death matters, all we care about is excellence and competence and qualifications. And so when you go look around these medical staffs, medical teams of all these professional sports, and no one cares about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I'm not arguing that black doctors, black medical people aren't qualified, but no one cares. That's not a standard. Oh, the NFL is racist. They haven't hired enough black medical staff. You'll never hear that from anybody. You think DeMar Hamlin cares about the color of the people that saved his life? But but when it comes to this head coaching deal, everything is about race. These owners don't care what color their employees are. They just want him to get the job done. That's why they're any quarterback. Look what the Cleveland Browns did for that idiot Deshaun Watson. If NFL ownership was racist, they wouldn't have handed Deshaun Watson 240 guaranteed dollars, 240 million guaranteed dollars. No one would have handed him that if they were racist. This man got. 30 women claiming he's sexually harassed, but they gave him, they bag, several bags, guaranteed bags, and the dude can't even play right now. He's certainly not this year. He was horrible the last five games of the season. Oh, but the, these same people that are paying these quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, $40 million a year? Oh yeah, but they're racist. They, they don't want to give one of these black-haired co- Get out of here, it's a stupid Twitter, argument and narrative. It's the victim mentality that they don't want any part of when it comes to a leadership position and the head coaching position in the National Football League. If you think you're a victim and you think, cause 70% of the players in the NFL are black. If you think they're victims, you're not built for leadership. You're not a leader. You're a victim promoting a victim mentality. Brian Flores victim with a victim mentality. I don't blame him for not wanting to be associated with it or him running their football team. Victims aren't leaders. Show me one of these victims who's a great leader in sports. We got to come up out of the attitude. It's not the skin color, it's the attitude that we've been sold and we've embraced. That's what's undermining us as head coaches in the National Football League. Steve Kim, uh, welcome uh, to the show. Uh, do you feel sorry for, for Lovey Smith? Was he just treated poorly? Did they just chop his foot off? Is, is he the new Kunta Kente?
4: <laughs> not really. Uh, it's ironic that. Lovey Smith winning a football game is actually the worst thing he did for the Houston organization
2: because,
4: <laughs> I mean, Lovey, there are times that you win in losing, and in losing, you win. And if you're not guaranteed now, Bryce Young, uh, if I'm the McNair family, I wouldn't have even let him back on the airplane. Like, how dare you win that game? But a uh, great monologue. <laughs> and all that talk of shotgun marriages and all this other stuff, prenuptial agreements and baby mamas and – Um, you know, child support. I didn't realize this, but I've seen it all over. The Houston Texans are now on their fourth or fifth coach, basically, in four or five seasons. So that's not a thing of color or racism. That may be a situation of just pure incompetence from that particular ownership. But what's interesting is, since you want to draw that parallel, I I mean, right now, Coaches nowadays basically are guaranteed their money. Whether you like it or not, that's just the bottom line. There's a lot of dead money floating around. So when you fire a coach, you're on the hook. So I don't feel that sorry for any particular head coach. They get to walk away without doing their jobs in millions. Where do I sign up for that? But in terms of the organization of Texas, they have to be like Nick Cannon. I mean, how much child support are they paying? I mean, they still might be on the hook for Bill O'Brien. Then, Cully, and I think Romeo Cornell may have gotten something. I think he was an interim. And now, old lovey-dovey. I, I mean, you want to talk about every month, your paycheck is getting garnished. You're ending up with 14 cents after about a 40-hour work week. Wow, you have to be real bitter. But I, I would ask any of these Texans fans who are of that ilk that there's racism and this is wrong and, and I don't like this. All right, but what if I told you, though, and again, I'm just going with a hypothetical, yeah, but we're replacing Lovey Smith with Sean Payton. Would they then say, well, that's another white guy, or would they be like, okay, where do I sign up for season seats? So again, I think there has to be something that goes far beyond race, but also competency. And and I was just thinking about this during your monologue. There's two coordinators right now that I think have set themselves apart, and if I'm an owner – I would say, okay, if I'm going to go with the first-time head coach, these would be the first two guys on my list in any order. D'Amico Ryan, the 49ers, who's done an excellent job with that defense, and then Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator for the Lions. One's black, one's white. I I don't know how people are going to couch that, but those two guys, to me, look like future head coaches who should have a lot of buzz attached to them. But, Jason, moving forward, I'm with you. Every NFL ownership now, has to have enough guts to say, you know what, we're not playing the game. We'll play the game of the Rooney Rule. We'll interview somebody if we have to. But we are going to hire the best man that we feel is going to lead our franchise. And whatever the consequences are, whatever the criticism is, we're going to stand by our man.
1: You said a lot. One thing, D'Amico Ryan, I think, is a great candidate. He's done a good job. With the San Francisco 49ers what may end up hurting him though is Robert Salah had that defense first and struggling a bit with the Jets I don't think the story has been told they got to get their quarterback situation worked out you know that they had some injuries at the quarterback position and all that but I do think D'Amico Ryan's gonna get a job I certainly think the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions uh, is going to get a job. The defensive coordinator of the Lions should be fired. If 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 they played any defense this year, they would have been a, a playoff team, no question, and a real threat in the playoffs. They play. They can't stop. They, the most basic thing, stopping the run. They can't do it in Detroit. But but I, I, I'm off on one there. But Steve, you said something also about Houston Texans fans, and I trust me. Houston Texans fans have no problem with 64-year-old Lovey Smith being pushed out the door with a 15 to 20 million dollar golden parachute. No one is feeling. No one should feel sorry for Lovey Smith. Guy hasn't had a winning season in a decade. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not even trying to beat. Lovey had his time. He had it going in Chicago. But Jason and did Jason. a great job.
4: I want to clarify this. I'm talking about the Houston Texans or football fans in general that pretend to care about this stuff. It reminds me of like four or five years ago. We're behind Kaepernick. Really? And and none of them boycotted the National Football League. And in between their hashtags of Kaepernick or bust, they were checking their NFL fantasy team rosters. That's who I'm talking about. Because a lot of this is a virtual signal play, signal play about how we care about it but everyone wants the best coach. They want the guy that could lead their men to victories and that other stuff. And, you know, I think- This is
1: a media-driven thing though, Steve. This is a media-driven. The the fans are following the lead of the media.
4: Right, and they should stop. No one should trust the mainstream media, bottom line. And I want to go back to the Jets real fast, just real quickly. They didn't have an injury problem at quarterback. They had Zach Wilson. That was the injury. Them (laughs) drafting them number two. Is the injury the Mormon Milf Hunter? Okay, so they fix that position. If they just get Derek Carr level quarterback play, that can be a playoff team. I'm just gonna say it like that. So I would not hold that against Damico Ryans. And the thing that I like about him, he looks the part. He looks like a football player because he was. He's not over-analytical. I hate those guys. I want to bring back guys that look like Dan the man Campbell. Now that's a football-looking coach. You know what? Ryans looks like a young football coach. So Yes, I'm all in on D'Amico Ryan, and it does not matter. I don't care if it fills any quota. The quota that I have is, do I think he can lead men and win football games?
1: I agree with you there. I want to switch up topics. Uh, we've milked the lovey, cow for what it's worth. Aaron Rodgers, uh, is he done with football or is he just done with Green Bay? They lose last night to the Lions. He throws a bad interception, doesn't play that well. I, I still think the guy is tremendous. I'd love to see him go to San Francisco. I'd love to see him come here to Tennessee and, and, and you know play action pass with Derrick Henry, get him a wide receiver or two. I, I'd love to see Aaron Rodgers here in Tennessee. But is he done with football? Or is he just done with Green Bay?
4: Jason, do you remember that famous last iconic scene of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air? When Will Smith is looking around that empty living room as cousin Phil moved everything out. and It's just an empty rug and he's kind of looking around going, wow, it's over. I'm not going to be here anymore. That's what Aaron Rodgers looked like as he was kind of giving everyone their greetings and not their Jersey. Cause this is the last one. It felt like it was over. In Green Bay. Now, here's the difference with Aaron Rodgers and most football players. He has created options. The next chapter of his life will obviously doing something in media. Okay, he's made that very clear. I think it's very evident, but it just feels over. Even with this late run, let's be honest, Jason. Let's say they would have won the game yesterday. They would have been nine and eight in one of the last seeds and a pretty significant underdog, I think, going into San Francisco. And some of those throws yesterday, and I was with Coach JB yesterday, and he said to me, Steve, he looks like a guy that doesn't even care anymore. I, I, I mean, he got bailed out by the referees. I mean, him and that young kid that the Lions got, Kirby Joseph, boy, they had a great chemistry throughout this whole year. And it just didn't look like he was all in. And I've gotten this sense for about a year or two, because the little things have gotten them beaten in the playoffs. I think he wants away from Coach Matt LaFleur. And look, he's a difficult, temperamental guy, Aaron Rodgers. But some of those things that Lafleur does as the CEO, the coach, like not showing up the special teams, which absolutely killed them last year, specifically in that playoff game at home, um, in the way they play the situational football, really bothers Aaron Rodgers because he's thinking, "Hey guys, I can't do this by myself." I've said this to you numerous times throughout this football season, Jason. They have a very good one-two punch with Dylan and Jones. They should have leaned on that more. And time and time again, they get away from it, and they expect Aaron Rodgers to play Superman. And so when people say, what team does he go to? I think first and foremost, he realizes this as a very intelligent guy. He needs to win another ring or two to really secure his legacy as an all-time great. Right now, Jason, in my view, and I'm a big Aaron Rodgers fan, but I have to be honest. He's an all-time talent, an all-time arm talent, an all-time passer. But if he's just going to have one Super Bowl win, I don't know if I can put him among the all-time greats.
1: Well, give me the all-time greats list because I'm sure Dan Marino's on that list and he's got one less Super Bowl than Aaron Rodgers. He, and he, doesn't uh, Aaron Rodgers have four MVP trophies?
4: Right, but I'll, I'll also say this. Dan Marino never had as much talent around him. Jason, where I ding Aaron Rodgers is that the last three, Richman four years. they Webb they've
1: lost the, those receivers.
4: Right, and no defense. They had John Offerdahl and a bunch of Jags. And, and you know, the, where I really ding Aaron Rodgers, the last three, four years, they've lost a lot of home playoff games. I, I, let's just look at it. The last couple of years, they lost to Tampa in the COVID season at home. They lost to San Francisco at home last year. And there have been other years. One year, the year after the Super Bowl, when Aaron Rodgers was playing at a higher level as I've ever seen, they went 15-1, and and I'm thinking, geez, they got a dynasty. They lost at home to the Giants, who made that Cinderella run. Um, When I look at the all-time, all-time greats, my Mount Rushmore, this is where me and you agree. I got to put cool Joe Montana. I still think he has the best footwork, played in the most difficult era. You could hit guys back then. Um... You know, again, and I don't, I don't know where you put Otto Graham or Johnny Unitas. That's another era of football, pre-Super Bowl, basically, right? Um, I would put Tom Brady, based on the overall amount of wins and his high level that he has sustained for 20 years. I don't know who my third and fourth, I think John Elway, in terms of his talent and the fact he went to five Super Bowls, carrying some very incomplete football teams. I have never held those early Super Bowl losses against him because he carried teams that had no running game, were very small on defense, and when they got up against these NFC monsters after bye weeks with the Super Bowl, they really had no shot. So that fourth one, do we put in a Peyton Manning, or did he have too many playoff losses? I'm not sure, but Rodgers needs that other ring to secure his mug up there on that Mount Rushmore to me.
1: I, I I wouldn't put him on my Mount Rushmore. The guy you left off... Who who has a case? It's not a big. He's not the greatest of all time, but if I had, uh, if it wasn't for John Elway, if I had to choose one quarterback to win me one game, it would probably be Steve Young. Steve mm-hmm. Young was accurate. Okay. he Was athletic. Could run. One MVP. He, he was tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was tremendous, but but I, I do where I think you're really on rock solid ground. I think part of the problem in Green Bay is Matt Lafleur, and I think. Aaron Rodgers knows it, that team is undisciplined. Yeah. That Walker kid getting tossed out of the game and getting that penalty <sighs> late, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. And they had a second Green Bay player that also made contact with that trainer. That—that—that that, that was With that Lions trainer on the field, that was two of the dumbest things I've ever seen. And I think they kept saying, Walker had been thrown out of a game earlier in yeah. the season so it's twice with this guy. That's on Matt LaFleur and the culture they have there in Green Bay. I don't blame Aaron Rodgers for wanting to get out of there. Aaron, come here to Nashville. We will treat uh, you can well. Can you get rid of that Mike pipe Grable dream? Mike is a great oh, coach. Oh, God. What? That, that
4: is is a great abso- coach. That got- is an absolute pipe dream. He's not going what? to Nashville. I don't care if he's built a what? mansion right next to your studio. He's not. Who is he throwing to? Trey Burks? Really? You
1: think they'll, I, get, sorry. they'll get. If you have Aaron Rodgers, guys will want to come. They'll get someone in free agency and they'll draft people. That, it'll be part of a package. It'll be just like, no, it'll work out better than this, but it was like Kawhi Leonard sitting around waiting until they got Paul George and then he went to the Clippers. That's what, there'll be a receiver that goes with Aaron Rodgers. Look, they'll probably, OBJ will be out there. Because Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a lot of time. so oh, it's now, not you're, like not, now you're endorsing OBJ to join. Why, why have you done a 540? Because this
4: is much more than a 180. Well, I'm just saying.
1: Wow. Yeah, wow. I'm just saying. If, 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 if you want to. Anyway, Aaron, we'd love to have you here in Nashville. We'll treat you well. Uh, I want to move on to another guy that is, is retiring but should not retire. We're going to do our approval rating on J.J. Watt. Go ahead and play the approval rating bumper. I think J.J. Watt actually comes out of retirement next season. I'd love to see him in Pittsburgh playing with his brothers. J.J. Watt, I think two sacks yesterday, finished the year with 12 and a half, still playing at a remarkably high level. I don't think he's done. I know he's announced his retirement. I don't think he's done. I really, I think he's going to retire, but I think he's going. To, I think he's going to be like Gronkowski. He'll come out of retirement, play for a contender next season. Again, maybe he wants to have one year. Don't both of his brothers play for the Pittsburgh Steelers? I think. Yes. It, and he, and he could be the third Watt brother in mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. That would be good. So as it relates to, I'm going to start here with job performance. 12 and a half sacks, and you're retiring. I'm going to give JJ a 22 in in job performance, then I'll turn it over to you to make some comments about JJ.
4: Yeah, I believe JJ Watt his best role right now would be that Von Miller designated Russia role for a winning team. I thought Von Miller was incredibly important for the Rams. He would have played a big role in Buffalo. Unfortunately, he's down. JJ Watt is an incredibly, incredibly vital piece to any good defense. But in watching hard knocks the way I did, I don't think he wanted to be a part of that S show. I I don't think he really dug being on a team that had a coach that just got fired today, Kingsbury. And I don't think he trusts Kyler Murray to take him anywhere. Because the one final missing component for him is a Super Bowl ring or a deep playoff run. I'm with you. I actually think he might be a mercenary by next October as he kind of filters and says, you know what? This home life is kind of boring. But in terms of his job performance, played at a Pro Bowl level, I give him a 20.
1: Uh, you actually gave him a 25, Steve. Oh, a 25. Uh, I'll, I'll help you along. The, yeah. You gave him a perfect no, no, I gave score, him a which is a little overrated.
4: Oh, God. I gave him a 20. I gave him a 20, I think. I think I changed it. Because, you know what? <laughs> I don't think he was quite as dominant. 25 would mean his level the first five years. I think this year yeah. he was really, really good, but he wasn't quite that J.J. J. Watt of 2013, 14, and 15.
1: Well,. The big thing on J.J. Watt, more than even job performance, is I think he's really high character. I'll be shocked here if you don't join me in giving him a perfect score of 25 in character. This guy is right there with Walter Payton as one of the great men of the NFL, an ambassador for the league. I can't think of a mistake he made. So I guess we'll get into it with authenticity, I guess. But I think this guy is super high character. Gave him a perfect score of 25.
4: This was the easiest one, 25. He's everything you want in a football player. And if you believe that athletes should be role models, which again, we can debate that, he's been one. And he seems to have a great connection with every city that he's in. And teammates seem to rally around him and like him. So I think this was easy, 25.
1: All right, uh, maybe we flipped your scores because we, well, you got him in a 25 job performance and 20 character, maybe we just flipped yeah. those around. Authenticity. I'm going to give him a 22. Uh, J.J. does like social media a lot, like a lot of athletes. And anybody that loves social media that much, i got to mark down a little bit. So I gave him a 22 in authenticity.
4: Look, he is who he is. And he's, he's got that aw shucks kind of thing. I'm just working hard. And I know certain people say, is he a little bit phony? Is he putting on a performance? You know what, folks? We're all putting on a performance. But I like his performance. I gave him a 25.
1: You gave him a twenty. My God, what what scores! You don't have any clue what you're doing here, Kim. This, I, this is proof for the, for the people that write me every day saying yeah. we need more Steve Kim and when Agreed. Steve Kim going to host the show and Probably and never. you know it should be it should be Whitlock and Kim or Kim and Whitlock, fearless. I just look. This is why he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just winging it. I'm the professional well, here. True. I keep this ship. I keep this <laughs> ship uh, guided the right direction. It factor, uh, Steve. Uh, I'm gonna give JJ a 21. And if a few years ago I'd have gave him a 25, but at this point I'll give him a 21. He still got it, but just not as much of it as he used to have.
4: All right, this is what I have on my phone when I screen. I, I gave him a 20. I hope it's, like, written down there. I don't want to get harangued again. Good great. I'm
1: going to blame uh, these guys. I'm going to blame these guys here. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Go ahead, you. finish your Thank talk.
4: you. Okay, I can read off a screen, barely. But anyway, I gave him a 20. Still very relevant. And <laughs> I, I agree with you. He could be, like, Gronk. How many athletes have we seen, Jason, at the retirement ceremony? It's very somber, very emotional and this just I love the game of football, basketball, football, track, auto racing, whatever, and specifically boxing. And uh, I need to spend more time with my family. Three months later, they're like, oh, this family stuff is overrated. Get me back on there. And they, have a, and they call their agent. Hey, buddy, what's the best offer there? <laughs> no training camp. <laughs> Team has to win at least 12 to 13 games. Really, no more than 35 downs. I'd like to just come on in third and eight or longer. We can get that. I could feed my family some more because I'm not missing him anymore. I can see that happening because he's still, like you said, a productive player, but he's at that stage where less is more. If you put him in certain spots, let him sit on the sideline until you need some pass rush late in games and third and fourth downs, that would be a perfect situation for him.
1: Pittsburgh would be the perfect place. All right. We both have him as a smoke show at 90. Or uh, blazing hot. I'm sorry. We both having blazing hot at 90. And you got me screwing up, Steve. All right. So we're done with the approval rating for 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 uh, TJ or JJ Watt. Let's keep it moving. There's other topics uh, I want to get into, and I keep saying that The guy should end up with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and so that's the perfect segue into the 9 and 8 Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Thomas still hasn't had a losing record in the National Football League. They don't make the playoffs, though. They they I think go seven and two down the stretch, but no. against a really soft schedule. I think most of their wins this year, maybe eight of their wins, uh, against teams with losing records uh, this season. Did Mike Tomlin? Did he have a successful season?
4: Yes, and I remember watching a game about two and a half months ago where they got blown out like a homecoming opponent in the SEC by the Buffalo Bills, and they look like dead fish. And I'll be honest with you, I said to myself, all good things must come to an end. Is it time for Tomlin, who's still a world-class coach regardless, just to find another place? It's almost like Andy Reid. Andy Reid was great in Philadelphia. Went to all those playoff games, NFC title games, was on the cusp of a Super Bowl. They came up short. But at the end, it just wasn't the same. The message got old. It got stale. And then he went to Kansas City where he sealed his Hall of Fame credentials. It felt that way for Tomlin. But I would look at this season in two ways. There is BP and AP, uh, before Pickett and after Pickett. And in my view, they pulled the trigger on Kenny Pickett a little bit. They took too long. I did not understand what they were doing with Trubisky. We know what Mitchell is. He's a very mediocre backup, not even a good backup in my view. And every game that they played him, I said, and I said this on Twitter, I said, you've drafted a first-round quarterback who looks like he's ready to play based on the system that he had at Pitt, right, with uh, Mark Whipple. He threw the ball all over the place. Let's see what he can do. Now, Pickett, I don't know if it's going to be elite, but it looks like he gives them hope. And, and look at this foundation that they have. Uh, Pickens on the outside looks like he's going to be a true number one receiver. I love what he's shown. Najee Harris, good, solid running back. He's a player, and they have a good young tight end. And to get to 9-8, and eight, look, winning in the National Football League, as, as uh, Herman Edwards once said, is hard. It's hard. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're beating a good team or a bad team. The National Football League, it's not like you could play Slippery Rock or some directional school. Games are very difficult to win in the National Football League. And in a year that looked hopeless and a team looked like they were going to absolutely fold and maybe even start to tank, to salvage this says a lot about Tomlin and the culture they have in Pittsburgh. I think it was a great year. I think Tomlin did one of his finest coaching jobs ever.
1: Great year is a little strong, but good year. I do want to add this, though, Steve. Did you know that in four of his last five seasons, the Steelers have won either nine or eight games in four of their last five seasons? This is a good stretch of mediocrity here.
4: You're not wrong, but again, the last three years of Ben Roethlisberger, it felt like he was at the very, very tail end, and they were kind of stuck with it. You know, they kind of reminded me a little bit of the Jimmy Johnson era with the Miami Dolphins, where Jimmy actually made the playoffs three out of four years, but as long as they had Marino, who had no legs left, no knees left, was not the same player and didn't have the outside weapons, you kind of knew that, God, he was a sacred cow. If you get rid of him, there's going to be a lot of blowback. You don't know if the ownership will even allow you to, to do that. You, I don't know this for a fact, but I get the sense in my mind that there are coaches that look at certain quarterbacks and they're like, you know, let's let's get off him. But the business people and the ownership says, oh, no, 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 that's a sacred cow. We can't do it. And it holds back the franchise. At least now, you have to think, and again, you're right, they were mediocre because that is nine and 9-8. But if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, when you have Pickett and Pickens and Najee Harris and you have some playmakers on the other side of the ball like Watt and Minka Fitzpatrick, that's a bright future. And for... Mike Tomlin, to kind of guide that through the bridge of the prime of the Roethlisberger years, through his descent, and now you break in a new quarterback, I'm not saying it's masterful, but it's not easy to do. Not a lot of coaches can navigate through this process.
1: Love to see J.J. Watt there added to T.J. and that defense they have. They could be a real threat in the AFC next season. Uh, Steve, I want to move on to some media business that that we talked about a lot last week it just it continues to spin michael irvin not now not michael strahan on uh, fox's nfl pregame show took a pot shot at skip bayless let's watch
3: You know, I've struggled with this in a lot of ways because it's not so much just about, you know, being an athlete and experiencing being on the field and being that close to guys. And then you see something happen to a young man like that. It's just you don't have to be a football player to understand how big this was. And and you spoke about humanity. And I think but there were things done here by someone here at this network that were inhumane. And, and we sit here and we talk about how good, and I'm sorry to take it this way, but this, this, this route, but I just, I just felt like sensible people and sensible human beings have a heart. And they understand that, that your words and what you say really have an impact, not only uh, on that young man's family. And, 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 and so all the attention should be on this young man, his recovery for yep. some sensible people like us here to say that it didn't affect anybody at this network, nobody at this network minded, that's a lie obviously didn't talk to us because it matters to us and it matters to any sensible human being that this young man's life was bigger than any football game but this young man will hopefully be back and forget about football but just have a life yep. and his family has him that's the most important thing and and i think that was kind of lost a little that. bit in yep. all of this
1: hmm. so obviously they were talking about demar hamlin obviously i used to work at fox there are no surprises. That's, that's not a that was discussed and I'm going to go there. Howie Long co-signed. And keep in mind who Michael Strahan. What, what is he on Good Morning America or he's on one of those yeah. morning shows. He's as big a star in sports media as there is. Howie Long is the conscious in my view of the NFL. He's one of the smartest guys talking about the NFL. I'm a huge Howie Long fan. And so for those two guys to combine to take that shot at Skip Bayless makes me think Fox wants to get rid of Skip Bayless.
4: You know, I brought up sacred cows just a few minutes ago. Skip Bayless has become the dead horse. Everyone can beat on him. Everyone has the license. And like you said, given the stature of Michael Strahan, it may have not even mattered if the network didn't want him to do it. Look, he's got options. He probably has the green light to say whatever he wants, and he couched it by not necessarily mentioning his name. But, Jason, the point is very simple. Right now, whether you work for Fox or any other network, the most con- the most comfortable approved position you can take, whether it's Charles Barkley and Shaq, who had some good-natured fun on it, on the TNT segment, is to pile on, skip bayless the other side of that and i think actually takes more courage is to say wait a minute we may or may or may not like skip bayless but what he tweeted is being taken out of context and to defend him so you know michael Strahan, whatever his opinion is he's allowed to have it but he understood i think intrinsically that if i pile on skip and beat that dead horse i'm going to play to the audience and the mob
1: mentality I hear you at, at his level of pay and his relationship with Fox Sports, he, he, he just doesn't go off the cuff like that. It, it, it's, 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 they're a family. Those guys love each other. That group from Michael Strahan to Howie Long to Terry Bradshaw to Jimmy Johnson to Jay Glazer, they're all in it together. Kurt Menefee, I'll throw that right in there with them. They are a family and have a real affinity for each other. They're not going to do or say anything uh, without them all being in some sort of an agreement or understanding. And that includes with the high-end executives at Fox Sports. That there's a special bond amongst that group. And that's why I say, I'm like, ooh, when, when I saw someone t- texted me that clip, I was like, oh, man. But Jason. They're eulogizing Skip yeah. Bayless right on air. And, and, right, and but- keep in these guys are all Troy Aikman supporters. That whole Fox yeah. football family is a tight-knit group. Troy Aikman has never liked, and none of these guys have ever liked, Fox Sports getting in bed with Skip Bayless. And and they're trying to take him out right now.
4: Uh hold on. Enough of the understatement. Dreikman just does not like Skip Bayless. He literally would like to beat him up. Okay. Let's make that very <laughs> clear. But here's the funny thing. Jason, would you say that football is kind of a vicious, violent game, or that it was? It's a very hard tough sport for hard tough men, right? You would agree with me. Yes. Having played it at ball state at a very high level. Yes. You know how much I love Jimmy Johnson? That's one of the few people I'd actually like to meet and have dinner with, but Jimmy Johnson was right next to him. Jimmy Johnson has a coach. One time, they had this kicker. I think it was during the '89 season, and this kicker started like wheezing, and he goes, and Jimmy was screaming, "What the hell's wrong with you? I got asthma." You know what Jimmy's response was? Asthma. Get on the asthma field. So I mean, let's let's not couch couches. There's another great game, 1992. Cowboys absolutely blow a game in Washington at RFK. I'll never forget it. Could have wrapped up home courted or home field advantage, but the game fell apart late. And I know people on this plane, and it's been written about in books. So they're on the plane back. Jimmy's about three Heinekens on ice into his flight before the flight even takes off. He's in a very bad mood. So about an hour or two, they're going back to Dallas. The stewardesses start bringing out the food trays. And Jimmy looks over and he goes, uh, what are you doing? Well, we're going to no, I, I, I. bring that back. He wouldn't feed the players. He, he just flat out said, you don't deserve to eat. You're not eating on my time. You blew the game in front of John Mann, and I was coaching a great game, and you blew it. None of you are eating. And then later that flight, there was a group of players, I think it was like James Washington, Charles Haley, Michael Urban, Emmett Smith. They thought it was okay to laugh after a loss. They thought it was just a game. Jimmy came right over, stumbled over, probably by his eighth Heineken. He flat out chewed those guys out and said, there's no laughing, no talking while we lose. So they're trying to soften this game up without even understanding their own history. So, you know, and by the way, uh, one thing about Strahan, I think more people were probably offended by him clapping it up for you know for that drag show with that little kid four or five years ago than what Skip Bayless said. So if you want to go all the way there, there I went there. That's why you bring me on. That was fearless. Hopefully, that's just my point.
1: That was yes, really sir. fearless and a good thank point. You. Well, In we'll that you. conversation, well, on yeah, that note, I you. cannot top that. Yeah, uh, let's make sure can't. this whole this whole Bayless. Straight hand conversation. We got to package that and push it out. Uh, that was good stuff, Steve. Thank uh, you. NFL, I, uh, I want to go back. I want to talk about DeMar Hamlin. What did you think of the way the NFL and fans have handled the DeMar Hamlin situation? Did, did, have we turned DeMar Hamlin into Ukraine, basically, where everybody's flying the colors and the flag, and maybe we've gone overboard?
4: I want to be very sensitive about this because I think we all care about that young man's health. And it's great that he's going to recover and at least have a pretty normal life, whether that's with football or not. But I think you make a good point that has now become a status symbol and a virtue signal. And uh, you're probably going to discuss this with Coach B later, JB. But w- when I saw RG3 with that backwards jersey on, I, I just was kind of like, oh, God. Really? And I'm glad JB went out there because, man, that guy's fearless. <laughs> fearless to the point of being reckless. And, but he, I think, said the part out loud that many of us were thinking, it is okay to wear the sweater. It is okay to wear the ball cap. I get it. But at a certain point, and I see this all the time, and I've described this to you, Jason, is when someone dies or a tragedy befalls a known figure – the competitive morning takes place, and it's like the Olympics. Everyone's trying to win multiple gold medals, and I ask, at what point do you cross the line from being about care and concern for that particular affected individual? When does it become about you? And when I saw RG3 with the backwards jersey, and what's he trying to do, crisscross, make you want to jump? I was like, oh, God. It, it did make me cringe, I can't lie.
1: Yeah, right. Oh, God, I agree with. Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I, jump, I think jump. that anyway. I, I do think it's turned into a competition who can show the most concern for DeMar Hamlin, someone that most people did not know. 90%, 98% of football fans had no idea who the kid was. I think he was a six-round pick out of the University of Pittsburgh yeah. until he had the Carteret arrest on. And, and Steve, the, the thing I brought up with Larry Johnson that, that I think is very relevant is Peyton Hillis, and I know he's been out of the league mm-hmm. for a while, but he was a well-known running back in the league, yes. rushed for more than a thousand yards one year with the Cleveland Browns. This man's in critical condition trying to save his kids from drowning saving his kids from drowning he may end up losing his own life and he's basically being ignored by the NFL because th- there's more ratings value in DeMar Hamlin yeah. than here's a guy a father doing one of the most doing the most heroic act you could possibly do saving your young kids from drowning may end up costing him his own life. And there's virtually no discussion of, it.
4: you know, what it really the first thought I had, believe it or not, was the parallel between a guy that I don't think you got to cover it was years before you got on the beat, a running back that also played for the chiefs that lost his life, Joe saving kids from Joe Delaney, who was an electric running back. This guy was an absolute star. And if you delve into his background, just a great individual that everyone gravitated towards. And I think he lost his life in the summer of 1983, if I'm not mistaken. I I get the part that Peyton Helles has been out of the league for a while, but I mean, he had that one magical year, I believe, in Cleveland, where he actually made the cover of Madden. I remember his college career. They had a three-headed monster at a running back, uh, the backfield with McFadden, Felix Jones, and him. Right, and so I'm thinking – this is a kind of guy that had a thing it's not like this completely unknown player like he was a guy that was well known in football circles and look this guy's fighting for his life who's trying to save his kids and i'm not saying it should be front page news i get it the news cycle runs very fast it is about current players and current games but it's almost like it's been rele- relegated as i show my age here to the transaction section at the back of the sports page I, I found that a little bit
1: odd finally steve let's move to your favorite topic college football there's a game tonight that it's stupid that the game's being played you know on the day after the end of the regular nfl regular season's been overshadowed mm. if college football had a brain this the national championship game would be played on january 1 It would get a lot of attention Uh, TCU versus Georgia tonight. Uh, Do the Frogs have any chance of staying within two touchdowns of the Dogs?
4: Uh, Well, first of all, I want to address this. Did you know SoFi is not allowing tailgating? Half the experience of going to college football (laughs) games is about the tailgate. This is wrong. It should never be at SoFi. That is not so fine. Can we just have it at the Rose Bowl? Okay, because that's where it belongs. They at least have a tradition with the sport. They are continuing to corporatize this, but to not not allow the Georgia fans and the TCU fans uh, to, to drink a few adult beverages and barbecue and intermingle for about five, six hours, that's a crying shame. Okay, so that that's number one. But number two, Georgia, to me, played their most difficult opponent of the playoffs because I felt with C.J. Stroud, and Marvin Harrison, and the outside talent, in the system of Ryan Day. I actually gave Ohio State a puncher's chance in that game. I went on the record saying, ooh, this, this could be dangerous. That felt like the championship game, the semifinals last week. I don't think that TCU has the physical bodies, the big bodies, the angry bodies up front to stay with them for 60 minutes. Georgia, to me, just like last year I always got the sense that they were going to be the national championship caliber team that comes out on top. Kirby Smart and his boys I think make a statement by crowning themselves as the new big bullies on the block in college football.
1: Steve, let me correct you on one thing. I think that's a college football playoff rule, not a Sofi rule about the tailgating. And so yeah. Okay. That's you blasphemy. Know, that is blasphemy. You know, let me there.
4: just say something. one of my fondest memories, 2002 Rose Bowl, Miami's playing Nebraska. We literally tailgated for like 8 hours. Great time with the Nebraska fans. They knew they're going to get killed by the greatest team of all time. Fine people in Omaha, by the way. But I just again, college football is becoming more and more like the pro game, unless you make me the commissioner of the thing, there's no saving it, unfortunately.
1: Just saying. I got to figure out what the uh yeah, Georgia minus thirteen. I was just going off the top of my mm-hmm. head saying can they stay within two touchdowns? That's the only real conversation here. Oh, that game kicks off at six thirty? Four
4: thirty R time. Central That's, time? four thirty our time. That's another thing. What are we doing? That's ridiculous. I'm, what I'm are telling you, Jason. Doing? You gotta make me the commissioner. I hate to leave fearless, but it's I they're calling for me. Yeah. Yeah, Monday, it's a, anyway, mid-afternoon football. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. I mean, isn't it terrible what they've done to the game? Again, Commissioner <laughs> Kim, vote for me. I'll fix this thing. That or boxing.
1: Well, I know what I'll be watching during my workout, though, so that, that's good. <laughs> I like it kind of earlier. I mean, I, hell, I'll be in bed watching the uh, second half. That'll be awesome. Uh, 13 points. Does Georgia cover that?
4: Yes, I think they cover late. TCU's going to scrap with that system of theirs, the defensive Whatever they do, the three-three-five, and they're bringing guys all over. But over time, the Georgia front line will start to create some erosion, and they're going to break some long runs late. I, I think it's going to be kind of like a 38-21 Georgia victory.
1: Thank you, Steve. Thank you. And that's why we covered – man, this – anyway, let me uh, move on. Let me uh, go to youtube.com slash Jason. we like hit notifications, subscribe. Uh, Coach JB, Last Chance Q, next. Welcome back. Let's roll out to Los Angeles, bring in coach Jason Brown, wrap up our football discussion. JB, I want to start with uh, Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins, combine them both. And by the way, JB, let me start here. Are you losing weight? You almost look slim.
5: Oh, yeah. I've lost like 40 pounds, man, in the last six months.
1: Yeah, you look good, man. You know, you we too, grow man. some of your hair back, you could almost – you could almost, uh, you know, you might catch something.
5: <laughs> right. I might. I'm trying.
1: Uh, anyway, let's start with uh, Dak Prescott and or Kirk Cousins. Who – of these two quarterbacks, which one needs a postseason victory more?
5: Oh, Dak Prescott. I, 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 love, I got the precursor to the show. I'm like – will Deshaun Watson return to greatness? I'm like, when was he great? I'm missing something? Am I missing something? When was Deshaun <laughs> Watson great? Uh, he We're getting play- there.
1: Would you talk about Dak first? We're going to uh, get there. Would you talk about Dak first?
5: Yeah, Dak Prescott needs one in a major way. Uh, Tom Brady's already Tom Brady. We already agree, right? We Everyone, most people annoying him as a GOAT because of the seven rings. So Tom Brady, obviously... Um, Doesn't need a big victory. But if Dak can beat Tom Brady, um, now you got something to say, okay, well, at least I surpassed Tony Romo as one of the worst quarterbacks in Cowboy history. So maybe if he can get a playoff victory that means something, maybe Dak can get past it and move on. But Dak needs a win in a major way. I don't think he can. I, I don't think he can. I don't think he can shine bright enough. I think the lights are too bright for him, and I don't think he can get past it. He has a mental block, and some of those throws that he makes, man, uh, it just is – but what do I know? I say it every day, Jason. Like Some of the things he does is just – it. when you are consistently inconsistent at quarterback, it doesn't usually rain well for you and your your franchise usually doesn't win big games when it matters and he's consistently inconsistent
1: i i think what's going on with dak and i i want your reaction to this is he didn't he, he broke his ankle or something last year and and now i think he's more hesitant to run and he's playing more from the pocket and he's just not as effective that's why in just 12 games, he leaves the league in interceptions. And I know he's had some terrible interceptions that have bounced off the chest of some of his receivers. But 15 picks in 12 games is 15 picks in 12 games. That's not a very good season. He has struggled. I think that $40 million contract, I said it from the day one they paid a guy 40 million it's gonna to be too much weight for him to carry you pay somebody that much money the expectations of your teammates of yourself all elevate and he's not the type of guy that whose play on the field is going to justify 40 million dollars a year I don't care how big the salary cap gets you're paying somebody 40 million dollars that's like you're paying him like he's Michael Jordan and it's just not our Dan Marino And it's just not there. I think it's too much pressure for Dak. And that's why he had this very mediocre season.
5: Yeah, I agree. Uh, You know, pressure burst pipes where we're from, man. I don't think he understands that he's not in that uh, elite level by any means. And I don't know. I'm going to be Let me ask you this, Jason. What is the difference in wins and losses with Cooper Rush? if he was still playing if Cooper <laughs> Rush was playing do you think there's a huge difference I don't think there any I don't think they have any more losses and they may have one more win at least so I don't know if Dak is, is such a big difference I understand he's more athletic I understand he's probably more talented spinning the ball but is the difference does the does the reward outweigh the risk when it comes to dollars and cents and a lot of le- a lot of teams have that question to answer this year. Um, not only coming up to the draft, like the Houston Texans who fired Lovey Smith, another one and done. Um, you have Pete Carroll. He's got a lot of great uh, assets in the draft coming up. He's got two first round picks. That he- he's probably the GM of the year. And then you have. Uh, Some other teams that have to answer this question, Baltimore, Washington, you got a lot of teams out there. And then who's going to, where are Aaron Rodgers going? Where's Tom Brady going? So you're going to have a lot of movement, Derek Carr. I mean, so are you going to go with a guy that you can pay less money to and surround your roster with better talent? Or are you going to go after this quarterback and leave your team kind of mediocre? I'm going with the uh, the quarterback that's not the big name because we've seen that these average or well, these other quarterbacks, backups in specific, can do the job just as well as a hundred forty million dollar guy. Look at Arizona and Tyler Murray situation. So,
1: well, I think the this- the, the, the point you're team. making is, look if you build a proper team, look what San Francisco's getting out of Brock Purdy. That that that's your point. If you build a proper team,
5: they've played three quarterbacks over there and. They have enough talent around them to window dress the quarterback position, and I think you can do it. Washington did it with Heineke for f- six weeks. I don't know what happened with River, Ron Rivera. Why he went away from him to Wentz again? He lost the roster and the team, in my opinion, when he did that. And now you're now you're playing now you're grab bagging and you're playing Sam Howell, the rookie, uh, yesterday just to see if he's the guy going forward. And clearly, he's not and either are any of these other rookies right now. But there are some good backups in the league, like the Cooper Rushes, like the Heinekes, uh, Geno Smith's proven to be doing that. Uh, there's some other guys in the league that I believe you can win with with a proper roster. And I'm not even I'm not even unsure that David Mills in Houston can't d- be that guy. Why go draft a first-round another quarterback just to please your crowd base when you're another one in 16 season away from from just I, when is the owner going to look at himself instead of firing coaches every year? It's your roster, it's your team. And uh, I don't know if the quarterback position is good enough, Jason, at the college level or as a rookie in an NFL franchise that has no protection up front, no wide out core, no running game. And we're going to throw these young guys out there and say, oh, go win my franchise uh, Super Bowl. Come on, man. When are we going to start understanding that these young quarterbacks need some roster help? And let's just let's build the roster in Houston. Let's play with Mills. Go draft a big time O line or wideouts or go get some corners or some D line, and let's get better year in and year out. And then we'll worry about a quarterback in a couple of years. But right now they're going to draft Bryce Young, and then what? They're who, who, going to be one and sixteen again next year, Jason. We're going to be talking about the same thing.
1: Well, the Bears could possibly take Bryce Young. I know they got Justin Fields. L- let me ask you, since you forced me to freelance, which isn't a bad thing, but let me freelance. Is Bryce Young, is, is he, I, I'm not 1,000% sold on him. He's small, I don't like undersized quarterbacks. Is he, what kind of an impact, who do you compare him to in the NFL right now What's his ceiling?
5: So I've, I've talked to Sark about this. I've talked to guys that have actually coached him. I, I've known him growing up in L.A., uh, watching him play. He has a uh, – he's very cerebral. He's got an understanding for uh, protections and uh, coverage rotations already. I like that he's played in a pro-style Bill O'Brien, Sarkeesian offense. So I believe he plays under center a little bit more, similar to Caleb Williams and what – What they do under Lincoln Riley at SC, that's why I do like the fact that Caleb Williams is a little more uh, NFL ready because they do take some under center snaps. Um, Bryce Young the same way, NFL system, Bill O'Brien saving, uh, Sark coached him early in his career when he won the Heisman. Um, I think he is a little he'll be a little more battle tested uh, playing in the SEC. But having said that, um, he is small, like Caleb Williams, and uh, even Caleb's a little thicker, obviously. But uh, I think Caleb Williams is the second coming to Kyler Murray. I think Bryce Young is uh, the second coming to a Jalen Hurts. I think he can be productive in the NFL. I think his he, he, he reminds me a lot of Jalen Hurts. Um, I think he has a uh, quicker release, though, and a stronger arm. And I think he can throw a better spiral. And I think that that means something in the NFL to all the naysayers out there that doesn't understand what a spiral does in the wind and in the rain and in the snow. It's easier ball to catch for the receivers, so you do understand. Um, But I think Bryce has those things, and I think he can be a step ahead of a guy like Jalen Hurts entering the league as a rookie uh, compared to some other guys. But again, I still don't think he's ready to start in the NFL as a rookie on a bad franchise. So if you go to Chicago, you're you're, you're doing what G, uh, what what uh, what, what uh, this kid's doing right now, um, Justin Fields, which is going to struggle. You have no O line. You have no perimeter <clears throat> out wide threat. You have no tight end. You have no run game. You 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 have no defense. Like it's like, come on, man. It's not just a quarterback. He's not Michael Jordan who has to take you know go to the paint on four guys and draw a foul. This guy has to play against ten other guys and run for his life so you're just going to replace one uh, you're going to try to replace you know repair a bullet wound with a band-aid and you got to start a, a different place you got to go get some other key positions filled and uh, the only time Jason i am be honest before you ask me the only time I've seen you draft a receiver first like the Bengals did with Chase um, what do you call it Chase. Uh, Jamar Chase that helped them their O-line was horrible Joe Burrow was so good with Chase that it led him to a Super Bowl in year two, really year one after the injury he had. And now you have one of the best wide receiver cores in football, and now you've shored up your O-line where Burrow looks like Tom Brady-esque right now. He's in the pocket with clean pocket. He's not getting blasted every five seconds. He hasn't been hit in like six weeks, and that's why the Bengals are probably playing better than anybody in football right now. Um, I got to ask you, Jason – would you, take the, would you take the best quarterback in the 15th-ranked defense or the 15th-ranked quarterback in the number one defense? I'm taking the best quarterback. I'm taking Burrow all day long over a 49ers' best defense instead of having Brock Purdy in the best defense. I'm taking that all day long because quarterback play in the playoffs matter under those shiny bright lights. And Purdy's not ready. Brady or those type of guys are. And I'm going to take that guy versus your number one defense 100% of the time.
1: No, I'm taking Nick Bolsa in that defense uh, over, you know, the, the, no, I'm taking, I'm taking Nick Bolsa in that defense. Uh, when, is
5: that, when is a quarterback that is that average won a Super Bowl? Trent Dilfer. Brad
1: Johnson won a Super Bowl. Brad Johnson won a Super Bowl, didn't he, with Tampa? Uh, Best defense defense. of that
5: season. Best defense in football that year. And so did Trent Dilfer. Ravens. This 49er defense, by the way, is not either one of those defenses.
1: Look, it's not that I think Brock Purdy is better than Dilfer or Brad Johnson. I just think it's easier to play quarterback now than it was then. And so I think Brock Purdy's good enough with that defense and Christian McCaffrey is an element that and and I think Debo Samuels back now I think they got enough other weapons and and Kyle Shanahan such a terrific play caller and play creator I I think with that defense they can get away with Brock Purdy
5: I think they lose Saturday I think the 49ers lose...
1: lose on Saturday
5: I think they lose Saturday.
1: The 49ers lose. Why? Have you seen Pete Carroll's record versus Shanahan?
5: Have you seen Pete Carroll's defense, what it does to Shanahan? Just look at their record. Look at their record. Look at Pete Carroll owns Shanahan. And I'm going to tell you right now I had Pac Man Jones on my show this morning. He agrees. Pete Carroll is going to fire his own scheme, this kid, this weekend. He is not ever going to see this defense, even though he's played him once as a a starter now. He's got to play him one time. He is not going to see what he's going to see in the playoffs this weekend. And Geno Smith, all you got to do is come up with 10 early points. If Seattle gets up 10-0, that game is over. Telling you right now.
1: So... That's a decent right. segue into what I, what I, what I want. You're just dead wrong about, we'll see. You're, you're dead wrong there, but would you commit if you're Seattle, would you commit to Geno Smith moving forward? Again, they have two great draft
5: pick numbers. They have two, what are they drafting? Third and 12th or something like that next year. Um, they got a hell of a D2 D uh, DB, uh, the big 6'4", Richard sherman S kid who's starting at the corner spot this year as a rookie, uh, who he stole in the draft. He has a running back who he stole in the draft in Kenneth Walker the third, who could be easily an MVP candidate next year, and was definitely probably going to get rookie of the year, and because of Bryce Hall being put out for the Jets and got hurt, or he would have probably got it, but Having said that, you can sure up and go get Geno Smith a big-time tight end with a trade either with one of your picks or you draft a tight end from Georgia or one of these big-time tight ends from Utah. And I believe Geno Smith flourishes with a big-time tight end to to surround himself with Lockett and Metcalf. And if Geno will be so much more comfortable with a tight end in there then he would be right now with Will Disley, and I don't know who the hell they have. Uh, I think it. I think a tight end is missing. I think you can keep Geno, and I think you can surround them and get better on defense. They'll get you a couple big-time pass rushers, a couple more safeties, and another backer to replace Wagner, who's gone for the Rams. I think that team is a few pieces away from being very, very good in the next year or two. And I think Pete Carroll understood it. That's why I think he's the GM of the year by getting rid of Russell Wilson, knowing there was something there that we did not know. And now rocking and getting this team to the playoffs, which no one thought would happen. And I don't think you need to make a drastic move at quarterback and draft a quarterback or move up. I think you can win with Geno. Um but I think you got to get a few more pieces to surround him. Uh, Sean Salisbury and I break Geno down quite often. Geno looks good, man. I'm telling you, he looks really good at times. And they can get, get another piece inside a guard and another tackle. I, I, I would draft a tight end, a couple of line pieces, and a couple guys on defense and use some assets to shuffle around, maybe draft, uh, trade for a big-time tight end that's available um, out there, trade up for somebody. I'd keep them and draft around and make that roster even better than they are right now, which is a playoff team right now.
1: So they have the fifth and the 20th pick just to enter that into the record, not third and 12, the fifth and the 20th pick. Here's I somewhat agree with you. My only concern is I've seen guys like Geno in all sports how they are on the way up. When they got the eye of the tiger, nobody believes in them. They wrote me off, I didn't write back. He got all that mentality. And then when does it flip in their head to, see, I was right, and they was all wrong, and I'm the man, and you know what, $40 million. I'm. I'm better than Dak Prescott. I'm better than this guy. I'm better than everybody. I was always better than those guys. I was drafted higher than Dak and blah, blah, blah. And then once they flip to that mentality of like, the league owes me, I've been screwed over, Rex Ryan screwed me up, and everything that happened in New York and blah, blah, blah. It's just what mentally happens to Geno in success can he sustain it? That's my concern and question.
5: I don't see that in his character. I don't, I don't, I don't get that vibe from his character. Uh, I, uh let, me, well, I
1: should, let me, let me clarify this. Let me clarify this. This isn't a genome specific. This is just young men, men in general. It, it, it's almost like me at a craps table. I, I've had moments where the craps, you get on a roll for an hour, and. Then, <laughs> I got craps figured out, I know exactly what I'm doing. oh my God you know earlier this season, I went on a twelve and one streak uh picking games, twelve and one. oh, I got this whole thing figured out. oh I, I mean, and reality has come storming back <laughs> to to humble me so you ain't got nothing figured out. no one does. you can't figure this I'm just this is just. This isn't specific to Gino. This is just his situation. Been written off. What what success does to your ego? That's where I'm concerned.
5: I I think he's a little bit older than than that now, though. Geno, speci- speaking about Gino in specific, I think he's kind of realized, yep. okay. This is my niche. This is where I belong right now. Pete Carroll's given me this opportunity to be a captain, a leader around a team that's won Super Bowl, been to a couple Super Bowls under this man. He's been around. He's won everywhere he's been. Maybe I can learn some things and stay this place for a couple years because my I'm not getting the $200 million contract. My time's passed. I'm not that guy. I think he understands and, and understands his lane, understands the lane he's in. But my question, Jason, is this. You draft a young quarterback, and he's – is it's. if you do the percentages and do the data and the analytics and everything we love to do nowadays, what rookie quarterback's coming in balling out of control right now? There isn't one.
1: So it's not why a rookie r- quarterback that I think – they wouldn't make a play for a rookie. It's just would they get involved with a Derek Carr or someone to compete with Geno? Would, would I think, they, you know – Pete
5: knows. These guys talk, Jason. I think Pete called Gruden today, man. Why were you trying to get rid of Gruden? I mean, a car. Because he's horrible? Okay, I figured that. Yeah, he just can't play under the big pressure, uh, Pete. All right, good deal. Yeah, I'm going to stay away from Derek Carr. I think Carroll understands that. I don't see him taking him. You know who I do see him taking? Uh, which I'm not a fan of, but I can see him taking him and let him compete. Baker Mayfield. I can see them very oh, easily. Oh,
1: God, no. No,
5: no. That no. is kind of an inside source from a few coaching buddies I have in the NFL. They can see him easily going to Seattle and competing versus Geno, giving him a the competition. I'm going to tell you this. They have to bring in someone to keep Geno on his toes, though. And I believe Geno is much better than
1: that Baker, ain't Baker Mayfield. Mayfield. That ain't Baker Mayfield. Lord have mercy.
5: And, I, I, and, no. I, and Colin, Cow- Colin Coward said that Baker Mayfield is hands down better than Geno Smith. I almost lost my breakfast. And I was like, what? And uh, But I can see him coming in there with the, we know, with the, with the so-called swag Baker does possess and give him a, a battle in camp which can keep Geno on edge. And that is a psychological ploy that Pete runs. Pete does a lot of the... Phil Jackson mind control type or mind games type of things that I can see him easily doing to keep Gino on edge, to keep him in where he's not comfortable. Um, And that is something, but they're going to bring in a Wiley veteran if they do and draft other pieces and carrolls he's hit it pretty much. uh, Belichick and Pete Carroll, I would argue the last 10, 12 years are the two best GMs in football. As co-coaches, co- you know, coaches and GM.
1: Yeah. Uh, so. Final thing. Final, you've already previewed it, but I, I, I need you to address it. Uh, Deshaun Watson. Terrible this season in Cleveland. You seem upset with my assertion that there was a time when Deshaun Watson was headed towards greatness, showing greatness in 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 Houston. Do you think Deshaun Watson recovers next season and returns to a high level of play?
5: He had the one decent year where he was up on KC and he he won a playoff game and 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 all that. They had a pretty damn good team there in Houston that year before Bill O'Brien blew it up and got rid of Hopkins and 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 Watt and all those guys left. Um He really hasn't played since, to be honest. So we don't really know. I don't know if I would ever associate greatness with him. Um, This is the thing about it. Who thought he would ball out this year? I didn't. I've been saying it for months and months and months. I said there's no way this kid can play under the immense stress that he has to have have on him every day with all these allegations and accusations and everything else. And, Jason, how many more – accusations and allegations are going to hit this off season because it's still going on. And I just don't, I think the Browns failed this kid in putting him in the game this year at all. Like this guy is just going to come in and win out and get us in the playoffs. Come on, man. This, this guy hadn't even built a camaraderie with his roster, with his locker room. You got you, this, this, this organization is floundering as we speak. You got, you got Javion Clowney walking out of practice, getting kicked out. Don't come back. We have a very bad nucleus in Cleveland. We got bad management, upper management. We got a bad ran organization here. And it's, it's much bigger. And I think just signing him alone tells you that this organization is disgruntled and incompetent at the least. So if anyone thought he was going to come back and ball – they were out their mind. There's just no, there's no way you coming back from this with all these different things. You still got pending allegations out there, and you miss all these games. Your first game back is at your former organization in Houston. You know that was a money grab to get fans in the stands in Houston, and then you have now a guy that's under a. This roster may be imploded. It may, it may get blown up, and now you're having to figure out okay. I can't really build a a better roster because all my money is being spent on this guy who hasn't performed at all this year because of whatever reason. He looks horrible. You look better with Brissette, to be honest. So I don't know, man. I think his career, I said it before, if he even plays at all this year, which he ended up playing, I said, I don't know if you'll even see him play next year because there's going to be more allegations. There's going to be more drama. And uh, does he get through all that mentally? if he does come back and play in camp and he's free and clear and he comes back to camp, I don't know if he's mentally tough enough to do it. I don't know if he can get through this. He, he looks lost. When you look at him in his interviews, he looks like he is so, uh, distraught. There's no way you can play quarterback in the NFL with all of this on your shoulders and on your back. If you're not that, if you're that guy and I don't see him being that guy. And, uh, I just think he's going to be another guy they're having to force to play because he's they paid him $250 million. I think they are stuck, and the Browns have been set back, who knows, at least five years, maybe 10.
1: Anything else you want to get off your chest, JB, before I let you go?
5: Yeah, uh, Patrick Mahomes overrated. Yeah. Uh, Nobody wants to talk about it. Uh, I'm being blasted by all your boys. I'm being blasted by all your boys in Kansas City uh, on my show today. I got all these people coming, blasting me. They're like, well, "You're you're trending in Kansas City, Coach, because you said he was gimmicky." Let me, let me, let me, can I can I just give you can I give you a few stats real quick? I wanna I wanna make sure everyone yeah,
1: here. Uh, start with stat- thirteen and four, and start with a second MVP trophy. Start with them two stats. All right. Go ahead. Now go from there.
5: The league forty-one touchdowns, right? Yeah. Forty-one touchdowns. Mahomes leads the league. Guess what? Eighteen of those touchdowns yeah. are. From? Guess where eighteen of the forty-one touchdowns are from? One to five yards range. He's thrown seven shovel passes for touchdowns. Guess where twelve touchdowns of the forty-one are from? Six to ten yards. Eleven to fifteen yards, one touchdown. Sixteen to twenty yards, he has four touchdowns. He has zero touchdowns thrown twenty or twenty-five yards. And out of 25 to 50 yards, he has six touchdowns, four of those being on escape drill plays. So please break down the 41 touchdowns that everyone's so enamored with and how Pac-Man Jones and I broke him down today saying that even on the whirly-bird huddle break play, he was late throwing that ball. He's late consistently. He will not step up in the pocket and throw the ball on time. That is just how loaded this chief roster has been for the last four years. And he has one Super Bowl. And I can't can't believe no one's talking about it. Everyone's anointing him the greatest thing. But why does he have one Super Bowl? If he's so good. he's young. What is he? He's barely 21. He's he's already. Hey, Russell Wilson has the same amount of Super Bowls. And guess what? Eli Manning has one more than this so-called GOAT. So until he wins another Super Bowl, I'm not even going to discuss him. I think he's gimmicky. I think he's overrated, and I want a Kansas City to hear me loud and clear. He's thrown 41 touchdowns. 30 of them have been under 10 yards. Let that sink in. So great job. Um, I, I got TCU getting blown out tonight. Um, I think Georgia blows them out, and I'm calling a 35-13 ball game.
1: Thank you, JB. Thanks, brother. Good talk to you. We may, we may, we may ask you to come on tomorrow, if uh, if something happens in this college football game. Interesting. Thank you. All right, brother. Great job. This dude just. <laughs> <almost> <laughs> <is over. laughs> Hold on. Before you play tomorrow, before you play tomorrow, I do, I do want to remind everybody. FearlessArmyRollCall.com. I need you to come join us here in Nashville in April, April 15th, for an event as we take this show from a show to a movement. You didn't see Friday's show. We're taking this fearless thing to the next level. We want men here for our first men's summit. We want women here. Bring your men to this men's summit as we make them better men. We're gonna eat, we're gonna drink. We're going to talk about God. We're going to worship God. We're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to have a good time encouraging each other to bear witness. Bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. Fearless Army, rollcall.com. Come join us here in Nashville. I just talked to Tamara, who you're listening to right now. She's going to come here to sing Freedom for us it's gonna be great uh, hope you enjoyed today's show
0: looking we'll see you tomorrow it's my obligation no hate up your hands for freedom raise up your hands for freedom I just follow want- I wanna be, I just want I wanna be, I just want